Welcome to the Joy Factory monthly and inappropriately named podcast for the Joy Factory Project by yours truly, Sean Duke. On today's show, updates on the life, universe, and everything, or just the Joy Factory Project, you know, that kind of thing. And I figured I'd tell you the story of how I became a giant science fiction and fantasy dork. Thanks for joining me on this adventure of virtual nerdery, audio nerdery, whatever you want to call it. I'm your host, Sean Duke, proprietor of the Skiffy and Fanty Show, professor of nerdly things, and sometime writer and TTRPG dork. Uh, if you're here, it means you fell down a magic well into some kind of alternate reality. Welcome. We have pie, which is pretty nice. I, it's good pie, I just want to note. Also, pie is superior to cake, but you with that knowledge what you will so before we talk about you know my journey down into dorkdom as it were uh, a few quick updates regarding the project the joy factory project uh just so you know what's going on in case you're not following it in the other spaces uh i've been talking about some of this anyway so here we go so the big thing is that the joy factory itself has become a newsletter you can go to get review r-e-v-u e.co slash profile slash the joy factory or more accurately if you just go to uh acast and find the joy factory or just look in the show notes for this episode episode six uh you'll find uh the link that way or if you just go to twitter.com slash sean duke it's my pin tweet it'll be in the pin tweet uh that's probably easier uh the big thing is that i started that the first uh issue went out already uh the second issue is coming Hopefully on Monday. I did this and I said I was going to do this because I, I wanted something that just gave me a little bit more control over the visual presentation and reviews just better than Patreon structure for any kind of uh, text. The way I see Patreon is really like it's good for giving links and files and things to people, but this is better. I like I like the idea of a newsletter. And so you can sign up. I hope that you'll join me. Uh, I'll be sharing all kinds of stuff, hopefully sharing boosts of cool things, books, a lot of the things that were in the uh, the joygasm, as I used to refer to it. That's going to still be in there, but I'm adding new stuff, including, by the way, interviews. I have been conducting over the last week or so a number of interviews. Uh, the first one, I won't tell you who it is, but it'll be in the issue, so keep an eye out for it. The other thing I've been doing is just grading a lot of papers trying to get caught up on things uh, we're getting towards the end of the semester and usually around this time i get incredibly busy and so that means that i kind of wind down all the stuff that i i just don't technically get paid to do uh, because i need to put my attention into my job as a professor of english because i am also that kind of dork uh, the last thing is i kind of revitalized this old project i was doing called star wars fan joy this was several years ago during some of the the down that came in the wake of The Last Jedi, uh, dealing with the fact that the Star Wars fandom is is pretty toxic. It's a pretty awful place, and I've waffled back and forth between whether or not I thought I could be saved, whether or not I really wanted to be part of it, and I have come back to this idea that if I'm going to do something called The Joy Factory, I also probably should take the media property that means the most to me and try to carve out more of a joyful, inclusive, friendly, welcoming space. One that's, we don't have to agree, but we also have to be turds to each other. So that project is called the Star Wars Fan Joy Project. It's 
I'm just kind of making it part of this. You can find it on Twitter at Star Wars Fanjoy. And basically, it's just going to be much more positive, getting people to share the things that they like, focusing more about the good things, the things that we love about Star Wars and being Star Wars dorks. Uh, I am obviously a giant Star Wars dork. You'll hear more about that probably in a minute here. So uh, if you want to follow along, uh, please go to those places, either for, you know, the Joy Factory or Star Wars Fan Joy. You can obviously go to medium.com slash the Joy Factory and join the project. You can support it on Patreon at patreon.com slash the joy factory if you'd like to be more involved i'm always taking ideas and things there's just tons and tons of joyful stuff that i want to explore but like my brain can only hold so many joyful things at one time so feel free to let me know what you're interested in uh and i probably can find joy in that too so with that in mind let's take a dive into the topic of the day which is how i became a giant science fiction and fantasy dork. And I think some of this is going to be pretty familiar, especially if you were a person that is broadly defined as a millennial or Gen Xer, uh, even somebody sort of very late millennial, early Gen Z, probably some of this experience will be relevant to you as well. And I think it's really interesting because there's a lot of shared experience, which I wonder if that's not going to exist in future generations, just given how much stuff you could technically have access to. Then again, big franchises, who knows? So I want to say that it all began in the human forests of Tennessee when two lung lovers birthed their first child before the forest elves of Memphis and the Council of Nashvilleites. No, I'm, I'm totally I'm kidding. No, that's nonsense. Uh, I was born in Tennessee, by the way, uh, but that's not really where it started because I was just a little bit of a baby. So kind of the truth of the matter is uh, there, there probably isn't like a single moment that may be this. Uh, and I think that would be an experience for a lot of people. But there are certain milestones, certain big moments, certain big media properties and entities that led me there. And so kind of what I want to talk about is how I got to the point at which I was I was basically sucked in and it wasn't going to change. And uh, that really kind of starts like for a lot of people really with with childhood. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is probably 90 percent of the stuff that I watched as a kid were either fantasies or science fiction, mostly fantasies. And that's largely because most of my kid experiences come from cartoons. And if you look at cartoons, the overwhelming majority of them are in some way or another fantastical. And much of that, I could say, comes from things like Disney. My grandmother did not like violence uh, in films. I should say she didn't like violence like slapstick violence or people beating each other up. Uh, Dead parents apparently didn't bother her that much. That's a Disney thing. Uh, My grandma was an interesting person. Uh, But I did watch a lot of Disney movies as as a consequence of her. And after all, most Disney movies are to some degree fantasies, uh, and almost all Disney movies are fantasies, although there's a handful of science fiction ones that came a little bit later. And uh, I also watched things like Looney Tunes as a kid, later other classical cartoons on reruns uh, from yesteryear, things like The Jetsons, The Flintstones, Scooby-Doo, stuff like that that I that I watched as a kid on, on reruns, etc., uh, because that's what we had available, right? I grew up right on the cusp of the emergence of home media, right? This is a thing that if you're a younger listener and hearing this, uh, there was a, there was a time that you, you kind of had to go to the movies or watch what was on the tube. Uh, and unless you were, you know, getting into laser disc or some of the, the things very early, a lot of people just didn't simply have ways to watch stuff, you know, stuff, unless it was syndicated, it was on television in some capacity. Uh, and so, 
the first times I really started to get really into things and get obsessed with those things was first through those cartoons and then eventually through home media, you know, Disney movies showing up on VHS, for example, and being able to watch those on repeat uh, over and over and over again, watching the same ones, eventually the invention of things like Blockbuster, uh, you know, this is all happening in my childhood. A lot of this is emerging. Like the very first home media we had was a Betamax. That's a thing that uh, only millennials will probably remember, uh, millennials and older generations, because it's a dead media form. It basically died out uh, with VHS, VHS taking over, sort of like uh, there used to be HD DVD, and now we have Blu-ray HD DVD, basically was in battle and lost the battle. And there's lots of things that go into that. So so anyway, so... all of this stuff from my my child was things that were syndicated on television, or what what you could watch on repeats, etc. And then eventually, when we got home media, we got VHS, Betamax first, then VHS. We were able to watch some things that were released on those formats over and over and over again. We didn't have Laserdisc, sorry y'all, uh, it wasn't a thing. So. That's all where it started. Lots of that kids stuff, right? And later there were lots of other kids things because I grew up, you know, in the the eighties, basically the late eighties, and then most of my growing up was in the nineties. And so there was a lot of stuff that came in, like the late eighties through the nineties, that were the big things. And we'll talk about some of that here, you know. So really, the big thing that changed my sort of cartoon watching, that childhood watching, to watching films, watching big movies, uh, was actually the introduction of the VCR in our household. Uh, because the, one of the big things that we ended up getting were the Star Wars VHS tapes off of that. And that was kind of the point at which you could just couldn't keep me away from it. I, I probably broke those VHS tapes. Uh, if somebody still has them somewhere, I'm sorry, but there's sections of that that are just worn out. Um, I became a giant Star Wars fan at that point. And you guys kind of knew that because if you heard me talking about the Star Wars fanjoy project, you know that Star Wars means a lot to me. And if you know me personally, you know that Star Wars is like the single most important media property to me, period, end of discussion. Um, I am a Star Wars fan through and through. And that's just that is because those were my one of my first experiences with home media that wasn't a Disney movie that was spaceships in space with lasers and laser swords and a dude who breathed funny and went (laughs) and like you just was wild and weird. All of that was going on. And I got to watch them and was amazed because here was this big space battle in Return of the Jedi, the best space battle in the entire franchise over and over, I just watched these things. And that's how I became really obsessed with Star Wars. And so, you know, you can understand this is the late 80s, early 90s. And then eventually we get the news about like the special editions. And I'm super stoked and excited. And then eventually the return of the prequels, all of that stuff. So there's more to that story. But this became the biggest influence on me. The thing that kind of happened after the introduction of Star Wars was my continued obsession with cartoons because I was a kid when I got Star Wars. And so, yeah, we were watching all those classics like the Jetsons and stuff. Uh, when we finally got cable and we got things like Nickelodeon and Nick at Night and things like that, you could watch like really old reruns of like the Munsters. I adore the Munsters, by the way, and I watched that a lot when I was a kid. Uh, the Munsters is amazing. But other shows that were coming out in my era, things like G.I. Joe, which, yeah, I mean, jingoistic and all that but you know i was a huge gi joe fan had all of those toys that's science fiction it's dudes with like amazing weapons that just don't exist uh and all that kind of stuff and we used to line them up and 
we were sometimes gross and we would use spitballs instead and try to knock them off of things. Um, and then we would sometimes use little missiles, but those weren't always very good and the springs wore out. Uh, things like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was another huge obsession, especially when I was a little bit younger. Uh, in, you know, those those had a, a big thing. I even went to the Ernie Reyes Jr. Uh, a, a dojo uh, for Taekwondo when I was a kid. I was not any good uh, and I probably should have kept up with it, but oh well. Um, you know, like that's uh, was a big thing for me. I was so obsessed. And Ernie Reyes Jr. was in both the uh, first and the second movie. He played one of the turtles in the first and he he uh, played a character in the second movie. Right. All of that was happening. Shows like Captain Planet, the X-Men cartoon of the from the 90s, Ghostbusters. All of these shows had a, just an enormous impact on me as a kid. And those were the shows that I, I latched on to, you know, and there were other weird shows like there was that weird gnome show that did reruns mm-hmm. on uh, on Nickelodeon. I can't, and I can never remember what that show was, but it had the like weird gnomes and the, the one gnome would like ride out a bunny. And I, I don't know what that show was, but I used to watch that, too. Um, and other weird shows that would show up on things like then when we got the Disney Channel and you could get all that kind of stuff. So cartoons, huge. And you could tell a lot about what I watched and what I watched over and over my cartoon watching. Tons of genre fiction. That's the stuff that interested me. And it was exciting watching, you know, spaceships and fantastical animals talking and all of this fun stuff. That was, to me, more exciting than real life in a lot of ways because real life – I grew up poor. Real life sucked, right? Genre fiction was an escape. It was looking off into worlds that didn't exist and looking at peoples that were – you know, working together, like a show like Tailspin when I was a kid, which is literally a ragtag group of guys running a cargo service with a a, a plane, a, one of those like uh, planes that can come go in and out of the water, right? The, totally, like their whole business model, I have no idea how that place kept going. Could have fallen apart at any moment and yet somehow kept going and kept going and kept going. Uh, those are the shows that really had a big thing. There were, of course, films from this period, you know, Star Wars to Alien to Independence Day, which just kept me coming and coming back. Alien, although scared the bejesus out of me, Aliens especially when I was a kid, but I still really adore it. And Independence Day was just an enormous amount of fun. Uh, you know, all of this stuff from when I was growing up were were huge, 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 huge influences. And then there was my grandma. And my grandma, my late grandmother, she passed several years ago now. Um, unfortunately, there are other people alive who uh, are taking up oxygen that I wish would have been spent by her instead. But such is life. Um, the other big influence here is, yes, you know, Star Wars was huge and all those cartoons. But probably the biggest influence on why I'm still a Star Wars fan and more importantly, why I'm kind of more of a critical Star Wars fan uh, or, or science fiction fantasy fan, I should say, although also a Star Wars fan Um I should say more specifically, though, a science fiction and fantasy fan. Uh, my grandmother sort of had two speeds. One, as I'd mentioned before, she didn't really like violent children's programming. Um, she didn't mind that the parents died or violence was perpetrated as a consequence of a story, uh, as long as that violence was realistic. Uh, realistic in its in its assumed presentation, I should say, not its literal presentation. Uh, she wasn't into gore. But she didn't like cartoon violence, violence that didn't take it seriously, uh, that... that treated it as a joke. She didn't like that. Uh, the other thing that she had as her speed was social commentary. And you can tell a lot about how much that mattered to her by the shows that meant the most to her that were genre fiction. Uh, these were things like Alien Nation, 
and the Star Trek television shows, especially TNG. She was a huge TNG fan. She loved Quantum Leap. And there were tons of other shows. She was a Dick Van Dyke fan. And so even though Dick Van Dyke is not science fiction and fantasy, you know, she loved Murder, She Wrote and uh, also loved uh, Diagnosis Murder, which is the Dick Van Dyke show, uh, where he, which he did with his son. Um, you know, she loved all of that kind of stuff. That That stuff for her was what really made her happy in life and in a lot of ways that's where she got a lot of joy in sharing that stuff and then also she really loved things like star trek 4 that was her favorite star trek movie that's the one with the whales by the way uh, i think she liked it because it was it's pretty funny watching spock wearing a towel uh, and, and running around in a bathrobe through san francisco it is is pretty amusing uh, but, uh, you know, it had a, a social commentary to it. It had, you know, positive portrayals of friends trying to work together, you know, saving the environment, saving these whales. She loved the movie Enemy Mine, which is, you know, a problematic film, but is a film that I think is incredible totally underrated uh it's literally a film that's an allegory about about white black race relations and about how horribly we we treat one another especially in wartime situations and how we dehumanize each other when we actually have far more in common um has lou gossa jr in it and des quaid and it's a fantastic film if you've never seen it see if you can find it somewhere uh it's pretty astonishing actually lou gossa jr should have got an oscar nomination but you know the academy hates sci-fi so whatever um you know there were other things too from that period that she's into and she also introduced me to reading things like the hardy boys were some of the very first reading experiences i have again not genre fiction in the sense that we're talking here but mysteries and detective stories and i devoured those kind of things uh, she really loved those kinds of stories and reading was really important to her uh, things like goosebumps which is more horror um you know all kinds of animal fantasies had a huge impact on me as a reader uh, my grandmother played a significant role in that. In fact, you could argue that my grandmother, even though she did like television, etc., she also really pushed to be readers, that reading was really important to her. And she came from a generation where she was from South Africa. Uh, she grew up in apartheid South Africa, uh, grew up at a time in which you know, the, the state government of South Africa literally banned books. And when she came to the U.S., one of the first things that she did was go to a library and find all of the books that had been banned by her government to figure out what the deal was. And the deal, of course, obviously, is that almost none of them are really that offensive, except for the ones, I guess, that were super critical of the uh, apartheid government, like July's people. But, um, but you know, that, that was an experience for her that reading was really important. And when you live in an environment in which reading is, is taken from you or, or choices are taken from what you can read uh that mattered to her she had complicated views about apartheid she was a white woman obviously so uh, but she uh, had complicated views more about the the after effects of apartheid in terms of uh, the government that came after it uh she never was much of a fan of apartheid itself uh, and you could tell that a lot by how she treated people so but that's a whole other story story um you know, and then, you know, teen years, like I got hooked on to things like uh, William Horwood's uh, Duncan Woods series, thanks to my mom, who was really obsessed with it. And I just devoured those books, um, you know, and by that time, I would amassed a pretty sizable collection of science fiction and fantasy, discovered people like Paul Anderson, who was one of is one of my favorite classic science fiction writers, or Arthur C. Clarke and Isaac Asimov and, you know, Ben Bova and all of these big name authors. Um, you know, this is... This is all just kind of like the beginning of the journey, though. Like, this is how I got hooked, right? This is how I 
I came to this experience of what genre fiction was and what excited me about it and what kept me going, going back more and more and more. It's that escapism that, you know, gosh, wow, of just amazing technologies and ideas and all of this going on fun as well, right? Exciting action, you know, social commentary, right? There's so much happening in it. And it was like an escape from the reality that sometimes really sucked, uh, but it was fun and exciting. You know, but this is, of course, you know, it's just the journey to becoming. Uh, it's not the end of the journey itself, right? The reader that I am today, the science fiction fantasy fan that I am today is different than when I was, you know, 15 uh, or, you know, just turning 18, right? Leaving behind my childhood for the first time. Uh, you know, there there is more to this. There's how I challenged myself, uh, you know, to find more diversity in genre, uh, to discover more about what genre could do, supporting more inclusive and diverse genre fiction. Uh, you know, I, I might talk about that another day. You know, how I came to Caribbean science fiction and world SF more broadly, especially from the uh, post-colony, you know. All that is there. Uh, but that's another story. And so I'm going to save that for another day. Maybe I'll tell you about that another day. But for now, I think that gives you an idea of, like, what my story was like. And I suspect that for some of you, some of that is familiar. Or at least, if not the exact properties are familiar, certain aspects of that story might be familiar to you. Um, and I suspect even for younger generations, there's some familiarity, even though, again, the products themselves change. But... I think a lot of us began with cartoons. I think a lot of us moved into specific properties. A lot of us glomped onto specific properties that meant the most to us. Star Wars, for me, things like Star Trek and Alienation a little bit later. I still think Alienation is one of the greatest products the show's ever made. And it's just unfortunate to me that we like don't talk about it almost at all. Uh, imperfect as it is, it's just one of those shows that I, I want to just say was a show that for me did something that you didn't see very often in any television, which was just really put the finger on the nose and say, this is some wrong bullshit. And I really liked having science fiction that wasn't afraid to challenge those questions, uh, even if it was sometimes a little too on the nose. And, you know, alienation's not perfect. It's got a lot of interesting stuff, though. So anyway, there's more to talk about, but I'm going to shut up now because I'm at about 20 minutes or so of this this episode, and I think we've got to the point. So there you have it, folks. That's how I became a science fiction fantasy fan. That's that's what got me to the point of I'm not turning back. Uh, that also means it's a whole new episode complete. And I also want to hear from you. Uh, a big part of this is, you know, this is my experience, but I'm curious about your experience. How did you become a science fiction fantasy fan? What were the big moments, the big properties, the big books, the big things that sucked you in and kept you in? as a kid, you know, made you into the, the fan that you are today. Or if you didn't, if you came to it later in life, why? What what led you to that? I'd like to hear about it. So you can email me directly if you go to seanduke.net slash contact, or you can send me a tweet at seanduke. I would love to hear all of that. Um, obviously, make sure, check out the Joy Factory uh, monthly, uh, which is uh, the, the other episodes in this piece, and also go and check out the uh, newsletter. It would be really great if you could check that out. Um, also, give us a, you know, a five-star review on iTunes. If you can, that would be really cool. Other things are also welcome if you want to do them elsewhere. But yeah, reviews are wonderful, and they help other people find the show, and do tell folks about it. So on that note, I'm done. I'm going to shut up now because i am already talked enough, and I'm rambling. So on that note, joyful transmission concluded. Mm -hmm.